Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 75 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Gileo, joined as always by Dan Duggan, by James Crash. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were at Heinz Field on Sunday afternoon to watch the Giants lose their first game in a while. 24-14 at the hands of the Steelers. The Giants dropped eight and four. The conversation is now changed around the Giants as they were high, high, high for a long time. And um, I think a dose of reality set in what the Giants might be at least for this moment as we head into the final stretch of the season. James, we'll start with you. Um, there's been a lot of doom and gloom around Giants fans, it seems, for the past. Uh, we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning, whatever hours since you guys were there on Sunday evening. When you were watching that game, were you sh- one, were you surprised at the result, James? And two, uh, do, you re- do you feel there's real reason for concern as we go forward with the final quarter of this season? No, I was not surprised by the result. And definitely, I think there's concern. I mean... I don't know about you guys. I think we talked about it in the podcast, and a lot of fans got at us on Twitter and in the comments on NJ.com. I mean, the signs have been here for a while now that this sort of game was going to happen. I mean, they had a six-game winning streak. I mean, think about it. So they, they started with the Ravens when Odell had, had a you know transcendent performance. Then Landon Collins has a major individual performance, wins the game basically on his own in London against the Rams. They beat the Eagles and the Bengals, two teams we thought were good, but we're now learning are really not any good. And then they played the Bears and the Browns, two of the worst teams in the NFL, and they were kind of lackluster in victory. So you add up those six wins, and throughout the whole streak, defense gave up too many big plays, and the offense was mediocre and inconsistent. And so now all of a sudden they go to Pittsburgh on the road against a playoff team, playoff caliber team, and they did the same thing they've done for the last six weeks. They just got smacked because they actually played a team that's worth something and has a chance to go to the playoffs. So I don't know why people were so surprised about this. I, I thought the signs were coming. And yes, people should be concerned. Look, I think the Giants will make the playoffs just because it's really difficult to start 8-3 and three and completely collapse. And I think if you look at the schedule ahead, Dallas on Sunday night is going to be very difficult. I think a lot of Giants fans need to realize that, yes, the Giants beat the Cowboys in Week 1, and that's great, and that's something you definitely can hang your hat on. This Cowboys team is drastically different. I mean, think about it. Ezekiel Elliott and Zach Prescott were playing their first games in the NFL in Week 1. They're now MVP candidates. This is not the same Dallas team. It's not the same Giants team. So I don't think you can say, oh, we beat the Cowboys, we can do it again. I mean, they may beat the Cowboys, but I think they're going to they're gonna face a very different, much improved Dallas team on Sunday night. But I think it's pretty clear the Eagles have quit on Doug Peterson, and I don't think teams don't usually quit on their coaches and then decide to play for them again down the stretch, especially on a short week on Thursday night football. So I look at this Giants schedule. I think they got to get to 10 wins to make the playoffs. I still think they can do that. They beat the Eagles in Philly. And they, if they can't beat the Dallas Cowboys and beat the Lions at home, I think that's a game they should win. So I think they're going to get there. But there definitely should be concerned because at the end of the day, this Ben McAdoo said the most, maybe one of the most honest things he said all season where he basically said, we are what we are. This is what the Giants are. They can still make the playoffs and, and maybe win a game in the playoffs if they get lucky. But this is what they are. And I don't know why people are surprised. We, we've seen it for six weeks. All the signs were there. You just people got you know winning cures everything, and they got caught up in the winning. But now they've lost, and we, and they've we finally seen them for what they are. This is what they've been the whole time. Yeah, they have been, and offensively, that's a scary proposition when you think about Ben McAdoo's quote. You think about what we saw on Sunday. I mean, sixteen first downs, less than two hundred yards passing, 
I mean, the pass-to-run ratio was off the charts bad, but that probably was more of a product of them being down. Zero targets, zero catches for Cruz, the offensive line issues. Dan, I mean, you've written about the offensive a lot, and we talked about it last week. I mean, this it feels like this unit, and, and James said a few minutes ago, the Cowboys are drastically different. Well, I remember we talked after that Giants game in week one. It was like we all expected the offense to take off, and there were positive signs because the defense played well. But, I mean, they are what they are. Is It's maybe the most telling quote of the season for McAdoo, as I paraphrase it, to what this Giants offense is. Yeah, it's funny. You even want to go back to the preseason. Remember everyone was saying, oh, don't worry, it's just the preseason. And we really haven't seen any growth, any strides. Really anything new. That's the thing. I mean, I know I'm, I'm a broken record, but I mean, at least maybe now people are finally starting to see what I've been kind of you know, hinting at, that there were some warning signs that you can't play this poorly on offense and expect to beat good teams. I mean, you can get by against bad teams because, uh, you know, again, like, like James said, Odell might take over a game or the defense has really carried the team throughout the season. But you just can't expect that formula to win against, you know, good teams. And it's funny because last week we came on and said, they're going to lose the Steelers. The Steelers... Uh, you know, have some offensive weapons, so you're not going to be able to just shut them down. And a lot of people disagree with us, which is fine, your fans, but it, it, was, it wasn't really that hard of a formula to see that it was going to probably come to an end in Pittsburgh. And again, I, going back to your first question, I don't think it's time to, like, panic because this wasn't a, you know, a 13-3 and type of team. I mean, they were going to lose some games. I think that, you know, as James said, they'll probably right the ship. But the offense, it's just really amazing to me that you have a, uh, an offense that was so effective the last two years under McAdoo to just completely devolve into this predictable, uh, ineffective offense. I don't, you know, I understand why it's happening, why they're not scoring, is because everything is the same. And I mean, look at how Pittsburgh—they move Brown around. They're running jumbo uh, formations. They're running bunch formations. The touchdown they got was because they'd set Landon Collins up with wide receiver screen, wide receiver screen, and all of a sudden the tight end, you know, releases and goes deep. Where are those types of uh, deceptive plays and, and, and like signs of really? Uh, impressive game plan you just don't see it and, and they just don't have good enough personnel to say we're going to line up in 11 personnel and we're going to get in the shotgun and we're going to run it down your throats and we're going to pick you apart in the passing game. they're just not talented enough to do that so uh, I think you know Sunday's game was probably a little bit of a you know kind of knock things back to reality but at the same time I don't think it's time to sound the alarms and, and the team's going to you know fall apart it's just kind of a uh, you know reality check of, of where they are. Yeah, and it's not in a good place. I mean, they're 8-4 and four overall. They're in a good place considering this season. But offensively, they're not in a good place. And, James, when you look at the offense, where, do you, where does the blame lie for you? Dan was just talking about the lack of creativity. We know the offensive line has its limitations. They do not run the football well. Eli has had some very spotty games this year, which he usually has a couple of those a year. But there's been some blame cast on him. Uh, Victor Cruz did not even get the ball anywhere near him. And it feels like he's being phased out a little bit here based on the snap counts. I mean, when you look at this offense, why can't they score? That's a great question. I've been asked a lot over the past few days. And I don't think there's any, like, one dead giveaway, like, aha, like, Eureka, that's the reason why they can't score. I think it's a, it's a lot of little things adding up. They can't run the ball. And one of the reasons why they can't run the ball is because they don't have a fullback. And to this day, I, I, I think at the end of the day, whenever this season's over, whatever the Giants may do, I think that's one of the major questions that Jerry Reese is going to have to answer, in my opinion, once the season's over. Uh, he probably won't answer it or try to brush it off. But why didn't this team, when you lost Will Johnson and when you lost Nikita Whitlock, why didn't they go out and get a fullback? I mean, there, there are guys out there. I mean, you know, I understand that you know, it's, it's not a given, but there are people out there. I mean, just a blocking tight end, and that goes back to the same thing. 
Now, the tight ends, I look, I think Will Ty and Jarrell Adams have, have promise, and they can be really good, they can be good players, contributing players for the Giants, but, and their blocking has made progress, but they don't have that blocking presence, so that's one of the reasons why they can't run the ball. The offensive line has struggled, no doubt. I don't think the offensive line is the biggest reason for this. I think the offensive line has been pretty similar to what they were last year. They weren't great, but they weren't atrocious. They kind of just plugged along, and I think Eli's ability to get rid of the ball quickly has kind of you know, accommodated the line for what its deficiencies and what its strengths are. You know, Eli hasn't played very well. I don't think he's had a horrible season, but he hasn't had one of his best seasons either. I think a lot of us, myself included, expected him to have a really big season his third year in the offense. I think play calling is an issue. Um, I, look, I find it very hard to believe that Ben McAdoo is completely overwhelmed as a head coach because they are 8-4, and four, and I don't think that he suddenly forgot to call plays overnight. I, I think another issue is, you know, last year that defense was atrocious, but they set the Giants up on a ton of short fields and a ton of favorable situations with takeaways. This year, the Giants have capitalized on some of those takeaways, but they really haven't capitalized as much as they should have, which I think has also contributed to the low-scoring total. So, you know, and, and Beckham, obviously, I, I think the, the beckham Shepard cruz thing, for whatever reason, they still have not figured out a way to get all three of those guys involved at the same time, but still tilt more of the targets toward Odell, which obviously you want to do because he, he's the best player on the team. So I just think it's a lot of it's like a death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just a lot of little things that are adding up, and there are really things that twelve games in December you really can't fix them. You just got to kind of manage them and hope for the best. Dan, when you look forward here, last four games of the season, do you think the fact that they are so one dimensional is going to hurt them and continue to hurt them? I mean, I mean, look, if if they get Eli rolling and they protect him, you would think it doesn't matter if the defense knows they're going to pass because he has so many weapons. Conceivably, he'll still make plays. But some of the numbers for the running game this year, I mean, it's it's one of the it's one of the worst, if not the worst, in the NFL. Maybe if the Vikings didn't exist, I think we probably could say they're the worst ru- rushing attack in the NFL, really regardless of what they do or try. I mean, it's, it's a bad rushing team. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason for optimism that's going to turn around at this point, especially you got, I believe it's three defenses in the top 11 in, in scoring defense coming up. So it's, you, know, you kind of went through the soft part of the schedule. That was the time you expected to, to see the improvement. I, there's just Again, there's no reason to believe it's going to change because they're not changing what they're doing. Like Eric Flowers isn't suddenly going to become a great left tackle overnight. You know, Rashad Jennings isn't suddenly going to become this, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell, for an example. Of, you know, you can see the difference in those two running backs, my goodness, on Sunday. Um, I mean, they are what they are personnel-wise. So people keep kind of – the people who – a lot of people agree with what I've been writing about the def- offense being too predictable. The pushback I've gotten is, well, this is all they have. This is the personnel they have. What do you want them to do? Well, that's the problem. The personnel, again, isn't good enough to overcome such a vanilla scheme. So just maybe – I don't know if it'll work or not, but if you don't try – we, we won't know the answer. Maybe mixing it up will yield some results. I mean, I think when the VV News, these two tight end sets, very sparingly, they have been pretty effective. I mean, it's not, again, it's not good enough that you're going to say, oh, we'll just scrap the three receiver sets because we're so dominant in this two tight end set. But I just think there is something to be said for just giving the defense a different look. Oh, we haven't game planned for this. I mean, the Cowboys, do, do they even have to change their game plan from what it was going into week one? You know what I mean? It's, it's just the same thing over and over. And, you know, as that Einstein quote, you can't do the same thing over and over and expect different results. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of at a loss. I mean, I, know, I don't think Ben McAdoo's a dumb guy. and I mean, he had success in the last two years. 
and he doesn't give any, you know, enlightening answers. He just says, oh, this is our, you know, our best package. Well, I mean, I, I, there's no evidence that, that supports that when, you know, you're, you're ranking so low uh, in, in all the offensive categories when you have weapons like Odell Beckham and, and Sterling Shepard and Eli Manning, who, as James said, hasn't been great, but, you know, you still take him over probably half the quarterbacks in the league at, at the very least. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's getting to a point where, you know, with four weeks to go, I, I don't see any reason to think that suddenly it's going to click, but that seems to be the, the hope they're clinging to. And they ran, they, ahead, I was going to say, they ran a good amount of two tight end sets last season. And, you know, now that Larry Donnell has kind of been phased out, although, you know, poor, you know, I, I think fans got to give Larry Donnell a break. He's in there for one snap after you know, a month of just in hiding, you know, on the bench. And they throw his way. It, it, that's, you know, that's the thing about McAdoo. It's like, and I think it gets back, I'm sure we'll talk about the Cruz target stuff. Like, if the, if, Eli thinks the guy is open. He's going to throw him the ball. And I think it was a perfect example on Sunday. Larry Donnell, his first snap in weeks, down on the red zone, he throws the bottom. Obviously, unfortunately, Lawrence Timmons was in between the two of them. Larry was open. But, you know, I, I just think Dan's right. You know, this is the personnel they have, and it seems like they have to do something different to make this work, and they just don't seem to be able to do it. And They'll do little different things here and there in a game, and it'll work. And it's almost like, okay, this is working. Let's go back to what's not working. It, it just, it's very odd. It is odd. And, James, a few minutes ago you mentioned McAdoo. And he, look, he had success here. This isn't like a new guy coming in and a new system that no one knew if it could work. Or, you know, he did something somewhere else as like a, a co- um, an assistant coordinator or a quarterback's coach. He had success with this offense and this quarterback and a lot of these same weapons. And now it's not happening. And, you know, we see this sometimes when a a coordinator becomes a head coach, the success isn't there. His team is having success. It's not like, you know, the offense is doing well, but they're four and eight. The team is doing well overall, but his side of the football, his thing isn't working. I mean, do you put any of that in maybe he's more distracted now because he's the head coach and he's not putting as much time into his offense and his game planning? Or do you think he's, he's doing the same things and it's just stopped working now? You know, personally, you know, I don't know Ben. Ter- I mean, I, I you know I don't know him terribly well. I mean, not like we're we're best friends, but I just don't see Ben as a guy. From what I know about Ben and my interaction with Ben, is someone who, if that was the case, if he truly wasn't able to put enough emphasis and focus into the offensive game plan, I truly think that if he felt that was the case, he would do something to fix that. I just have a hard time thinking that he's not, you know, he's a, he's a workaholic. He's always working. He's always, he's no nonsense. He's football, football, football. I just find that to be tough, that that's the issue. And I, you know, he's had multiple junctures throughout this season where people were saying, are you going to give up the play calling to Mike Sullivan? And he's said, well, we're putting it on the table. Now, who knows how seriously that actually was on the table. But I feel like 12 games in, you can't change the play caller. If they had come back after the Green Bay game and said, all right, we need to make a change, I think you probably could have executed that there. But now it is what it is. You know, Ben McAdoo is just as much of the personnel as the wide receivers and the tight ends and the, the no fullback in the offensive line now. They've got to stick with it. They just have to find a way to fix it. And I think that he does do creative things from time to time, and they usually work. They just don't seem to do those things as much as we would think they should. So, I mean, look, he's got four games. It's a four-game season now. He's got to make the playoffs. I think that's the that's the goal in front of this team. Get the ten wins. Get into the playoffs. Everything else is gravy. Anything 
below the playoffs, in my opinion, as I said a couple weeks ago, given the fact the way they started is a colossal failure. I'll, I'll jump in. I, I do. I disagree with the premise that you know he he can't possibly be putting the same amount of time into game playing. It's just there's only so many hours in the day. I don't think McAdoo has gotten fat and lazy as the head coach. I mean, again, he he said last week he doesn't talk to basically his friends during the season. So that tells you kind of how focused this guy is. Uh, so I don't think it's because of a lack of effort. But there's just so many hours in the day. Even if you work 20 of them, well, you know, maybe you're working 20 of them just on offense last year. Now you got to deal with, uh, you know, what Odell says about the officials or Victor Cruz is unhappy with his touches or, you know, the defensive you know, side of the ball, special teams. There's just so much more on your plate. you got to talk to us, you know, three or four times a week, which is clearly one of his favorite pastimes. So uh, I don't think he has neglected the offense because he's not working as hard. I think it's just, again, there's only so many hours in the day. I think you have to wonder, you know, what does Mike Sullivan bring into the table here? Because it doesn't seem like, you know, he's put much of a, a, an imprint on this offense. And I don't know if McAdoo doesn't, you know, trust him to, to have a little more freedom. But, I mean, obviously coaches around the league do call plays. Uh, I'd say it's probably mixed results. I don't have, you know, all 32 who does what. But, uh, you know, it, do, it doesn't work for everybody. And as a first-time head coach, you know, first year, uh, I don't think it's a, a shock that, you know, his side of the ball has probably taken a little bit of a decline. I mean, even Spag said when he was with the Rams that you know he realized it's it's a lot to do to try and call plays and be the head guy and I think that um, it's not it's not it shouldn't be a big shock that the offense is suffering a little bit. Let's jump to the defense here because we beat up the offense I think enough here. Look, the offense was bad. That was the story of the game. You had a story, James, though, about the defense and one of their weaknesses, if not their their biggest weakness this season, which has been covering tight ends. And the Giants really, I think, have struggled with this forever, but it, it's been even more so in 2016. And you had some of the numbers there. And I took a look after you were done reading your piece at kind of just trying to project, like, what tight end has put up the numbers the Giants have allowed to tight ends when you add it all together? I mean, it's like every week they're turning every tight end into Travis Kelsey or Greg Olson, whoever you think the, the best tight end right now today um, is in the NFL. And then you look at the schedule down the stretch, this feels like it's a worry. Witten, Zach Ertz, who's had big games against the Giants in the past, Jordan Reed. Um, this, is, this feels like this is going to be a theme, you know, as this season goes along. They just, they don't stop tight ends. No, they don't. And I, I think that, you know, Penn McAdoo kind of had, I, I think we talked about it, for the Bengals game or after the Bengals game, he kind of had an enlightening quote, you know, when I, when I asked him about, you know, like why he thinks is the tight ends are so difficult from an offensive perspective for the Giants defense. And he basically rattled off, you know, well, they're, they're too strong for cornerbacks and they're, you know, they're, they're too quick for linebackers and they're too big for safeties. And it was kind of, you know, my first reaction was one, the Giants, and, I, and this is something we'll talk about as the season ends, they really need to get themselves a Zach Ertz or a Jason Witten. Obviously not Jason Witten. He's a Hall of Famer. But they need to get themselves that sort of dominant tight end who can take over passing games because that's why I really think this offense is needing above all else. And, and two, look at the Giants' defense. Landon Collins, great season. Andrew Adams has been a revelation as an undrafted rookie. They aren't really great cover safeties, although Landon Collins and Adams, I think, have improved a lot in that area. Look at the linebackers. With the exception of Keenan Robinson, they don't really have any great cover linebackers. I think that you know guys like Eli Apple and DRC and Janoris Jenkins are going to make plays on tight ends, but there's also a strength concern, especially with some of the bigger guys. So I don't know what it is about the Giants, but I understand they don't have the personnel matchups, and that's an issue. But it's sort of like with the offense. This is what you have. This is what the other team has. You have to find a way to make it work because – this every week going in there and having a tight end wreck the game 
it, it just it's not going to get it done. Yeah, the tight ends have been an issue, and you know it's it's killing their defense because they're playing well in almost every other area, but the tight ends seem to just get them no matter what they do elsewhere. And that's interesting, James. When you say, uh, I'm sure Matt could do probably the back of his mind would probably like to have one of those you know one of those type of tight ends for himself as we move forward with this offense. All right, this last couple of days has been just beat up the Giants, beat up the Giants after their first loss since October. Both of you, I want the answer this because it's an interesting thought as we move forward to the final quarter of the season. Have, have people been too hard on the Giants the last couple of days, Dan? I mean, the performance was not good, but in terms of what it means, in terms of some people maybe should have saw, saw it coming. I mean, they were six-point underdogs. Do you think it's been overreaction, or do you think the concern and the anger Giants fans have is, is justified because it was a big test for them, their first time playing a good team in a while, and they failed it? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I guess it kind of depends on your perspective because if you thought that this was a, you know, a Super Bowl team, I think you were you know, a little bit deluded. But, I mean, as I've said, I mean, I think they can still make a run in the NFC. I don't think there's a lot of great teams, but I think if you looked at that game, you know, again, they were 6-point underdogs for a reason. I, I think that was going to be a tough game no matter what. I mean, they're on a six-game winning streak. They're going to lose eventually. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you should, you know, all of a sudden dismiss this team. I think it's an overreaction to think that they're not going to make the playoffs now. I mean, they do have a tough schedule. There's really no gimmies. I mean, obviously, you know, as James said earlier, Philly uh, is looking like they might have thrown in the towel. But you still know that's not going to be an easy game. Um, but, you know, they got four games left here. So I think that uh, two and two gets them in the playoffs. And I mean, if they just look big picture, I mean, if they go 10 and six after going six and 10 in the past two seasons, that's an unmitigated success. Now, the fact that they got off to an eight and three start, they probably inflated expectations a little bit because, again, this was never a, a great team. But you, you start to get caught up in the winning streak and you start looking at, oh, we can catch the Cowboys. And I think fans probably maybe thought they were, you know, overestimated them a little bit. But no, I don't. I don't think uh, you know Sunday's loss changes a heck of a lot for me. I mean, again, a lot of these problems have been there. Uh, credit them for overcoming them. I mean, you know, again, you, you don't. There's no real style points in the NFL. I mean, a win is a win. Um, you know, most games are close, and they found a way to win most of those. Uh, so credit them for that. I mean, obviously it's gonna be a tough stretch here. But again, if they go two and two, and get in the playoffs at ten and six, like James said, anything else after that is gravy. So. Uh, yeah, I think there probably is an overreaction. That tends to be the case, you know, and especially, I said this the other day, this team never really seems to just lose quietly. Like, when I went down to that locker room after the game, it was kind of like, oh, you know, they you know, they got beat by a team that played better than them. Uh, really wasn't a lot of juicy storylines in my head. And then you kind of get Victor Cruz popping off about not getting any targets, and you have Odell popping off about the officials. I mean, the, those were kind of man-made problems that they brought on themselves. I mean, I really didn't think that there was much about this game, uh, like I said, that was juicy, so... Uh, that kind of feeds into the overreaction, um, but yeah, no, at the end of the day, I don't think it was uh, you know a loss that you know should doom this team. James, for you, overreaction by fans and everyone around the Giants, or is this kind of we, this was coming here? I think it's. I mean, it's New York. It's always going to be an overreaction, especially when, as Dan said, you have a game that's kind of ho hum, and then you go down to the locker room, and you know. I wasn't there for Victor Cruz. I was there for Odell Beckham. I mean, those are things that are going to kind of, you know, push the story forward and get us into Tuesday and Wednesday and stuff. But, no, look, I think at the end of the day, it was an overreaction in the sense, I think Dan's right, expectations got very high at 8-3. and three. But I also think once the overreaction kind of subsides, I think this game really struck home the reality. The Giants' offense is mediocre at best. Uh, they've been really bad since I, I think the NFL Network has some stat like week seven. They've been the 30th ranked offense in the NFL. And the defense, tremendous strides by that defense this year, especially from where they were last year. But 
They're still, I think they're ranked 17th currently. I think they were 16th going into Sunday's game. Look, they are, I, I can't even begin to describe how much better they are than last year. But at the end of the day, they're still a middle-of-the-pack defense. You know, and I think after the six-game winning streak and the way the defense kept them making big plays, people were acting like they were you know, this dominant defensive front that cannot be stopped. Well, no, they're not that. They're, they're, they're a middle-of-the-pack defense, which is exactly what I think anyone would have hoped for and expected after being 32nd last year. I think we discussed this before the season started. If they can get to be ranked 16th or thereabouts, that's a tremendous success for Steve Spagnuolo and that unit. And they've had that. They've been very good, but they're still a middle-of-the-pack defense. They're not a dominant top-five defense. And I think that we started to see that a little bit on Sunday. They gave up too many big plays. Great run defense that can be worn down, as Le'Veon Bell showed, if if they're on the field too much. Pass defense is vulnerable. So I think, of course, there's an overreaction. Because you look at the Cowboys coming up, you look at the tough schedule, people are worried they're going to blow this again and miss the playoffs for a fifth straight year. And that's on the table. I don't think they will, but it could happen. But I think it's a little bit of a reaction that's going to lead into people realizing this is what this team truly is. Let's meet our expectations, get to the playoffs. Everything else is gravy at that point. It's a success if they get to the playoffs. I think that's what the goal for the fans, that's what your energy should be on. Just get to the playoffs and see what happens. I'll throw on something real quick. I think in some ways 07 and 2011 were like the worst things to happen to this franchise yeah. fan base because it, it, everyone thinks that, oh, you just have to get in the playoffs to win. It happened those two years. It happens every now and then. If you go back and look at the Super Bowl winners, they're usually teams that go 14-2, 13-3, and 12-4, and there's a reason for that because those are the best teams. So, uh, I mean, obviously you wouldn't trade back 07 and 2011 you know, under any stretch. But it does kind of inflate the expectations around here. Like, oh, this team, they'll find it. They'll find it. Well, not usually if you're you know, a mediocre team all year, you're, you're a mediocre team in the playoffs. Uh, they kind of buck the trend there. But I just think that's funny because I've noticed that so much where it's really not how it usually goes. But this franchise you know, can say, well, it's happened here. So it does seem to kind of change the uh, expectations a little bit. You know, Dan, before we move on, and, and James, you could finish your thought on this. I just, as you said that, Dan, I thought of it. I, I always found it ironic to add to what you just said. The best team I thought Tom Coughlin had with the Giants was the 08 team. And if Plaxico Burris doesn't shoot his leg, shoot himself in the leg, like that team was the number one seed, the NFC. I thought that was the best team he had. They didn't win a playoff game. And then I think their 2010 team went 10-6 and and had a really good defense and was playing well at the end. Uh, And they lost that game where the Eagles had that crazy comeback with Deshaun Jackson. And I thought that team might have been better than either of the Super Bowl winners, and they didn't get in at 10-6. and So, like... It doesn't, you know. It's just. It, I think it has warped the perception of the Giants and what they could do with, you know, in the Eli Manning era. Because two of their better teams didn't even do anything, and then two of the other ones won the whole thing. Go ahead, James. Well, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that I always saw as funny is that the '07 team, I think, was like 11 and five. They just they were a really good team that was in the division with a 13 and three Cowboys team. So I understand that obviously being the 18, you know, 18 0 Patriots kind of adds that like underdog mystique, but. Like, that wasn't like an accidental champion, I think, like you could kind of say the 11 team was. You know, that was a good football team. And everything I was gonna say, like, look, if I hear one more person tell me that the Giants in 2011 won the Super Bowl with the 32nd ranked rush offense, two things. I think they averaged like close to 90 yards rushing that season. I think the Giants, this team is like at around 75 currently. I'm not sure. I haven't checked the updated stats at the Steelers game. And the second thing is, I went back and checked. Over the six-game winning streak to end 2011, two games at the end of the year, the Jets-Cowboys and the playoffs, 
they ran the the average like 115 yards a game. Mm-hmm. So it's, they got they got better running the ball. That they year. got better running the ball. So I just I like look. I think too many times with, with the Giants, when you know they they hit a situation like this, it's just let's open up the big blue book of bedtime stories and talk about what happened in 07 and 11, and it's just it's just not applicable. I think, especially with that that run stat, I just I just don't think that's a legitimate comparison to make at all. Because that Giants, t- the NFL was totally different back then. I mean, it was a lot more of a running league at that point. And two, that they were better in yards per game at, at being a thirty second. They were ahead of where the Giants are, pretty significantly ahead now. And they ran the ball extremely well down the stretch. And I don't see this Giants team suddenly becoming a a, a rushing machine down the stretch. So I just want to say, as Dan mentioned, the 07 and 11 teams, let's stop with that rush, 30-second rush stat, because it doesn't apply. And also with that 11 team, Eli was playing at a ridiculous level. I mean, they get eight fourth-quarter comebacks and was 5,000 yards passing. So right now, he's not playing at that level. You know, they, they had that guy to bail them out of a lot of bad situations that maybe other situations created during games. All right, guys, let's look ahead. Sunday night, you guys will be there, MetLife Stadium. Two weeks ago... We thought if the Cowboys had dropped a game and the Giants had continued to win, this could be, you know, for everything, for first place in the East, for the number one overall seed. Things have changed. The Cowboys are 11-1. and one, The Giants are 8-4. and four. I don't think anyone's really thinking about the Giants coming back to somehow catch the Cowboys to win the NFC East. But it is a big game. It is a marquee game. And I think that it is a game that if the Giants win or play them close or outplay them, we could keep it in the back of our mind because if somehow, some way, the Giants win a first-round game and go to Dallas in the second round, you know, we'll all say the, the team that played the Cowboys the best all season long was the Giants. Dan, thoughts on this game, this matchup, and maybe how things have changed the last, what, uh, third, 12 weeks or so? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone left Dallas that day thinking this team's never, you know, never going to lose again. So there's been a huge surprise. Um, and, uh, you know, as you guys talked about earlier, the two rookies clearly are better players now or just more comfortable. I mean, they're always a talent, but uh, I'm, I'm still pretty surprised. I mean, you, you watch the Cowboys and they just kind of find a way. They're almost like a better version of the Giants in, in the sense that they, you know, they grind out a lot of these games, but they certainly find a way to win. And they obviously have a better formula when you have clearly the best offensive line in the NFL and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, I know there's a lot of, uh, tendency to say, oh, anyone can run behind that line. Well, then you haven't watched this guy because he's, I mean, he's as physically gifted as probably any running back in the league. I mean, he punishes uh, tacklers. So uh, the thing is, I, I do think the Giants match up fairly well against them. I'm not, I'm not expecting a, a win on Sunday, but I would be surprised if it's as ugly and lopsided as that Steelers game is just for the fact that the strength of the Giants' defense is their run defense. And even Le'Veon Bell, I mean, he had 118 yards, but only, you know, 4.1 yards of carry. He had to you know, work and grind for uh, for those yards, and, and you know, even got a lot of them late when they were really kind of wearing down the Giants. But I think uh, again, they do match up well because they run defense. Uh, you know, the Cowboys' defense probably doesn't get enough recognition. It's pretty good, but uh, it's you know, it's not world beaters. I think the Giants should be able to move the ball. But again, we've been saying that for twelve weeks and uh, been proven wrong most weeks. But uh, I do think it's a good matchup for the Giants. Uh, obviously, a big game, not quite as big as it could have been. You know, if, if we were really looking at the NFC East kind of being on the line. Uh, but, it, you know, it should be another, uh, you know, playoff-type atmosphere. Um, again, it's a game, obviously, the Giants are going to be up for. So, uh, it should be fun to see. James, your thoughts as we head towards the biggest game the Giants have on the schedule for right now, which every week is the biggest game until they clinch a spot. That's very Kyle Flood-esque. Um, no, I, I think that, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this is a very different Cowboys team. It's a very different Giants team. 
I think it's going to be a really fascinating barometer for the Giants. They're going to be at home. Division is not going to happen, but they could make a major statement. They could really, really help themselves down the stretch in terms of the playoffs and tiebreakers if they beat the Cowboys. I think if they beat the Cowboys, they're pretty much going to the playoffs. I would find out very hard that, that they wouldn't be able to scratch out one win over the final three games from there. No, I'm just intrigued because I, th- I think this Cowboys team, this is a game that could be really close, a classic game. I think the Cowboys could also come into MetLife Stadium and, and punch the Giants on the face and really, really, really beat them up, which is something we haven't really seen so far this year. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, they, they've had, they saw the worst game of his career. I mean, he's averaged five yards a carry since week one. Dak Prescott hasn't thrown an interception in five weeks. The, the Cowboys have one of the best offenses in the NFL. The offensive line is dominant, and the Giants are, are banged up on the defensive line. So it's going to be a really tough matchup for the Giants. I think we're going to learn a lot about where this team is, especially after the loss in Pittsburgh. Can they bounce back? Because if they don't bounce back and they win and they lose ugly, eight and five, I think that it's you really could start to see a tailspin, and things are going to really get hot around here. So it's a big test for the Giants. It is, and the pressure would be very, very hot heading into that game against the Lions before the two road games to finish it off. Guys, as always, thanks for doing this. Uh, it was an interesting week. Finally, we had something different to talk about. We'll see if the Giants can change the conversation again. Dan, thanks as always for doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks, James. You got it, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 75 of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back next week with you after the Cowboys game to break down where the Giants sit in the NFC postseason race. You can always subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're there. Leave a rating. It helps us grow. We'll be back next week right here on NJ.com.